0: Good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning. We are already to the end of our Intentional Life series. Next week we're going to begin a five-week series from the book of Colossians and we're going to go through this short epistle, this four-chapter epistle um, in five weeks, uh, just kind of covering the high points of it. Um, It's entitled A Life Worth Living. Um, It's a sister series, so to speak, to this Intentional Life series. We're going to look at Colossians and say, how do we intentionally live a life that's worth living? And it not only has that benefit, it has the added benefit of, of creating in us, I think, a winsome life, uh, a life worth inviting others uh, to join us in. And so it has those two benefits. Uh, we have written a study guide to go along with this five-week Colossians series. This is available out at the um, small group kiosk. You can just go out there and pick one of these up. This is our own material. We wrote it. It's our language. It's for our church. And it'll be a great study aid uh, for those of you who like to do this kind of thing. You can use it individually. You can use it with your family. You can use it, of course, in small group setting or, or whatever. But we want to invite you to, to, to use this resource. It's, it's available for you. It doesn't cost you anything. You can just pick it up out at the uh, uh, small group kiosk. Well, this morning we conclude our Intentional Life series. And um, I want to talk with you on one more critically important element to living an intentional life for Jesus Christ. I think this is a critical element if we're gonna present Jesus Christ well to our culture. It's a critical element if we're gonna really put some things together that we need to put together. And here it is, don't write it in your note guide yet because I'm gonna to get to the introductory thought in a moment, but, but I'm just gonna share with you uh, this thought. Um, if we say that we love Jesus Christ, then that should lead us to living an obedient life. Love should lead to obedience. That's the critical link that we're going to look at this morning. We have to be very intentional in in that regard. I'm going to begin this morning by reading to you from um, John chapter 14. Let me give you some backdrop. Prior to what I'm going to read this morning, Jesus has told his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. It's good that I'm going back to my Father. Because if I go back to my father, I'll prepare for you a place. And I'll come and take you to be with me there. And then he tells them, you have to live a life of faith. God is going to have you do greater things than I've been doing. Which I'm sure blew a circuit in their minds. And he he goes on then to give this critical teaching that I'm about to give to you this morning. Found in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 26. And he puts together love and obedience. Listen to what he says here. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Whenever I come to this, like, critical teaching moments in the Bible, I have this habit. I try to put big truths of God into memorable sayings so that I recall them and I easily can go back to them. From what Jesus revealed to us in this teaching I just read to you, a way of succinctly remembering what he said is to to really put this connection together. If I say that I love Jesus, then that means I owe what? obey him. Love leads to obedience. Love, obedience, okay? If I had to put this down into two words, love, obedience, that now is your introductory thought. Love leads to obedience. If I say I love Jesus, that means I will obey his commands. This is a simple but profound link that we must understand and we must live it out on purpose. If I say and I proclaim that I love Christ, then my life should be the product of that love and, and illustrative of obedience to him. Love leads to what? Love leads to what? All right. I want to take a tangent with you for a moment and then I'm going to get back to this big concept that love leads to obedience. But I want to take this tangent because I think it's incredibly important. Um, If we followers of Jesus don't link love to obedience, that will cause a lot of confusion. There's a lot of confusion outside the church walls because people who claim to love God, people who proclaim to love God act like there is no God. And from outward appearances don't live any differently from those who do not know God. That causes an awful lot of confusion in our world. To have people proclaiming, I'm a Christ follower, but living like you're not a Christ follower. There's this great chasm, I think, in the Christian community between proclamation and the product of proclamation, our lifestyle. So here's the problem. The proclamation does not align with the product. And that causes confusion. Years ago, I read a book entitled Unchristian written by Dave Kinneman and Gabe Lyons and published by the Barna Group. Um, in this book, they explore deeply what those outside the faith think about Christianity. And they looked specifically at younger generations who had no real background in the Christian faith. And the perception by those outside the Christian faith, whether it's right or wrong, is that most Christians are hypocrites. I'm not saying it's accurate. I'm not saying it's right. That's a perception of those outside the faith. And here's why those outside the faith were saying this. They say, such ones proclaim one thing, but live entirely differently. And that, to them, is hypocritical. Especially by younger generations, they see this. Um, Kinneman noted that 85% of outsiders who are younger to the Christian faith have had enough negative exposure to Christians to conclude that the present-day Christianity is hypocritical. Let me read to you a quote from this book. Okay, This is right from this book. In virtually every study we uh, conduct, representing thousands of interviews each year, born-again Christians fail to display much attitudinal or behavioral evidence of transformed lives. For instance, based on a study released in uh, 2007, we found that most of the lifestyle activities of born-again Christians were statistically equivalent to those of non-born-again people. When asked to identify their activities over the last 30 days, born-again believers were just as likely to bet or gamble, to visit a pornographic website, to take something that did not belong to them, to consult a medium or or psychic, to physically fight or abuse someone, to have consumed enough alcohol to be considered legally drunk, to have used an illegal non-prescription drug, to have said something to someone that was not true, to have gotten back at someone for something he or she did, to have said mean things behind another person's back. He said, well, we found what there's no difference. Therein is a problem. Because if we love Jesus, what will that mean? We'll obey what he says. Right? Now I'm not trying to say all this to beat you all up. What I'm saying is we have to understand that if we say we love Jesus Christ and we're making this proclamation, it's incredibly important that the product of our lifestyle at least shows some of that. I'm not saying we have to be perfect by any means, but I, I want us to get this critical, critical link. Obedience validates the set one. How you live your life matters tremendously. So I'm done with the tangent. Okay? I'm going to take us right back to our, our, our big thought this morning. that Love leads to obedience. In fact, if we were to write a big thought down for this section of Scripture, it would go like this. If you love Jesus, you will obey his commands. All right? So that's just expanding on love leads to obedience. If you love Jesus, you obey his commands. And we need to get the importance of something here when, when we make this link. Love leads to obedience. I think when we think of the word obedience, whether you're inside the church or you're outside the church, especially when you think of obedience to the Lord's commands, we tend to naturally default to the prohibitive side of the commandments, the don't do something, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. But what we have to understand as followers of God is that there's a proactive side, there's a to-do side of the commands that maybe is more important. People need to see us Doing right, not only not doing wrong. Amen? Yeah, I just said that right. Right? Anyway, if I didn't, you know what I just said. So we have to get to the promotion side uh, of obedience as well as the prohibitive side of obedience. Think of the Ten Commandments. Oftentimes we look at them in the negative, the prohibitive side. They come across prohibitive. Have no other gods, do not make false idols. Do not misuse the name of God. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not covet. That, that's kind of looking at them as, as prohibitive. Don't do something, right? But you know, even contained in the Ten Commandments is this promotion side. So if, if, we're, if we're not supposed to, like, say, misuse the name of God, what, what, we're, what we're being told is reverence the name of God. Hold this name up as holy, Don't succumb to cultural things like OMG acronyms. Don't use that stuff. Don't make God's name common. Have a moment of worship every time you mention his name. It's not that we're just not supposed to misuse the name of God, we're supposed to reverence the name of God. Amen? And people need to see that from us. And so when it says, do not steal, okay, we know, don't steal, that's a prohibitive side. But what we're supposed to understand? We're supposed to be generous people, in the name of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be people who give, don't take. Amen. To see, so there's a positive kind of promotion side. Even of the Ten Commandments, if you begin to read them right. But then elsewhere, like in Romans 12, there's a whole bunch of to-do teaching that the body of Christ is supposed to get. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, listen, as the body of Christ, there are some things you need to be doing and you need to be about because God has graced you. He has empowered you to live your life entirely differently. So if he's empowered you with the gift of prophecy, then be a truth teller. Do that ministry in culture and in the church. If he's gifted you to serve, then serve diligently given your life for the cause of Jesus Christ. If he's given you the gift of teaching and you're good at that kind of thing, then use that gift because there's a divine way of God's truth being presented to culture and to the church. If he's given you the ministry of encouraging, then you encourage a culture that's by and large beat down all the time. If he's given you the ministry of giving, then do it with generosity. If he's given you the ministry of leadership, then accomplish God-ordained goals and use that for the glory of God. If he's given you to the ministry of mercy, then use that giftedness of God and be sympathetic with those around you. You see what I'm saying? God has given us a lot of to do things, and he's graced us to accomplish those through the infilling power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given his people various gifts of grace so that we can administer God's grace in his fullness. So we have a calling to do as well as to not to do when it comes to the commands of God. Um, In fact, I I dare say to you, I'm going to give you this proposition that much of Jesus' teaching is about doing. How to live out the life we're supposed to live out. For example, take the parable of the Good, Good Samaritan. So, an expert of the law comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, turning to that expert of the law, said, well, what does the law say? He said, love God and love your neighbor. And then the expert of the law, knowing that, oh, I don't want to love my neighbor, he says to Jesus, but who's my neighbor? And then Jesus launches into the teaching of the Good Samaritan. Jesus says, basically, a man was walking along and he was beat up and robbed. And he's laying there half beaten in the road and half dead. All right, get the picture? Along comes two folk that ought to know what to do, a priest and a Levite. They are religious people their day. They ought to know what to do. But they see that beat up man on the road and who knows what thought process was in their mind. Maybe they didn't want to be interrupted. Maybe they were in a hurry. Maybe they didn't want to get unclean or whatever. They walk right around that guy and leave that guy laying there half beat up dead in the road. Then along comes a Samaritan, Jesus said. Now Samaritans at that time were an ethnic group that were looked down upon by uh, the Jewish culture. So along comes this unlikely hero, this Samaritan. And he Sees the beat up man. He's aware and he cares. He's interruptible. He stops what he's doing. He's willing to get down and get messy and bandage the guy up. And he's willing to use some of his own resources as he puts him on his own donkey and takes him to an end so that he can heal up. And basically what Jesus is telling you and I is we are to do some things as followers of God. We're supposed to see those around us. We're supposed to be aware of them and care about them. We're supposed to be interruptible, amen. We're supposed to be willing to get messed up a little bit, invest in their lives, and use some of our resources. Then Jesus says to the expert of law, who is the neighbor to this guy? I guess the Samaritan. That had to hurt the expert of law to even say that. The Good Samaritan was the hero of the story. See, Jesus taught frequently about the to-do side of obedience. So when you, we say we love Jesus, it should result in disobedience. It's more than not doing some things. It's doing some things he's called us to do. By the way, if you look at the Bible closely, you'll notice that obedience is a theme Used throughout the Bible and I find it interesting when when the Apostle Paul is giving teaching in in Ephesians there and he talks about children and their relationship to the parents in Ephesians 6 he does not say to the children here's what you need to do children love your parents what did he tell children to do huh you guys are saying it but you're just so doggone shy love parents no what did he say what obey your parents Why? Because if you're obeying your parents, what are you showing? That I love them. Now, I understand you can always do this obedience thing out of duty. That is not what I'm talking about. Our obedience needs to be done out of joy and devotion. But instead of telling kids, hey, kids, love your parents, the kids are instructed, obey your parents. Because what? Love links to what? Obedience. So when you are obeying, you're showing love. I think we're called to be very intentional about doing what Jesus would have us do. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, to get rid of the law. He came so that the law might be fulfilled and that we would be equipped to love the law of God, love the ways of God, and live the ways of God out by the filling of the Holy Spirit, which brings us to this incredibly important promise that we see here presented in the, in the, in the John scripture I read to you this morning. Um, by the way, let me preface what I'm about to give you. So, We're called here to love Jesus. That links to obedience. And then Christ says, I'm going to send you an advocate, the person of the Holy Spirit, to empower you actually to be obedient is what he's saying. Get this. Get this critical thing. Whatever God calls us to do, he equips us to accomplish. Do you believe that? Whatever God calls us to do, He equips us to accomplish. So if we say we love Christ, we're called to be obedient, and then he equips us to accomplish that by the filling of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment that the Holy Spirit brings to our lives. Whatever God calls us to do, he equips us to accomplish. Do you believe it? (laughs) I'm going to keep saying it until I get some amens here. Whatever God calls us to do, he equips us to accomplish. Amen? Amen? Yeah. So here's the promise. The promise is the infilling Holy Spirit enables obedience. That's the promise. Love leads to obedience. And and Jesus didn't stop there. He said, I'm going to send the advocate, the the, the third person of the Trinity, and he's going to live right inside you, and he will empower you to accomplish this obedient lifestyle. Um, I call this a sandwich this teaching we read this morning. You like sandwiches? I, I tell you what, we, we like to hike, Vicki and I, and my favorite hiking sandwich is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's so good. I love it. It's like you hike for eight miles, give me the sandwich, right? It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about this morning, but I just wanted you to get into the sandwich mode with me here. So this is a sandwich teaching, all right? It begins this way. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. That's kind of like the bread. And Then we get to the centerpiece. The Holy Spirit will enable you to obey. The Holy Spirit will empower you. He'll bring back my words to you. He'll he'll infill you. And then Jesus goes right back and says, If you love me, you'll obey what I command. Love me, obey what I command. Holy Spirit, love me, obey what I command. It's a spiritual sandwich. And we have to understand the critical, important intentionality that we have to have when it comes to obeying and following Jesus. Now, it occurred to me when I was putting this message together that if the Holy Spirit truly does empower us to be obedient, then we need to take a moment in service and ask for that to be a reality in our lives. So here's what I would like you to do. I would like you to read with me Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Okay, Luke 11, verse 13. Let's read this out loud, all right? Here we go. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We're going to ask right now for that. Would you bow your head with me, please? Lord God, in obedience to this scripture from Luke, in obedience to the John text we read this morning, we ask that you would fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit today. Now, I know, Jesus, for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we have to receive you as, as our Savior and Lord. So if anyone hasn't done that yet, I pray for that to occur even in the quietness of this moment. I, I just pray, Lord, that we who love you and call on your name and, and declare you as our, our Savior and our Lord, that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit, Jesus. That, that we would count on the Holy Spirit living in us to enable us and to empower us to be doers of the word and not hearers of it only. That we would have this life product, this lifestyle that would align with our proclamation, Lord. We pray, Holy Spirit, come in to our hearts. Bring to our minds the words of Jesus. Bring to our hearts conviction when needed and comfort when needed. Bring to our hearts uh, that determination and perseverance needed to follow your ways even when it's hard, Lord. We pray these things in your name, Jesus, and we count on your promise. Amen. So I want to get intentional with you for just a moment. as kind of a way to end the message here today. I just want to give you some advice about how to really be obedient and, and really follow Christ, okay? First of all, always default to obedience. Always in your life, default to obedience. I have a really simple rule of life. It's a good rule of life. Whenever possible, make a decision one time. And then do what? Live it out. Spend the rest of your life living it out. Make a decision, live it out. And that has to be the case when it comes to be one who's obedient. Make a decision, I'm going to be obedient to Jesus' teachings and ways, and then spend your life doing what? Living it out. Don't go back to the decision over and over again. That's super stressful, super hard to do. I mean, this simple rule of thumb, you can take it into all areas of your life. Uh, I've been married for 40 years um, to my first wife, Vicki. Still my first wife. Take it for whatever it's worth. All right. Uh, she's also my trophy wife. She's gonna not like me after service. Anyway, uh, she is really good looking. Anyway, the uh, anyway the, 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 so so uh, I gotta. I'm not focused. Uh, I take myself right out of the game. But listen, listen. So we get married forty years ago. You make that decision one time. You spend the rest of your life living it out. I don't go back to the decision, should I be married to her or her to me? We are married. Now we're going to live it out. Now we're going to figure out how to do life together. And it's not always easy. I'm easy, but she's not always easy. But (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's so not true. Okay, here we go. (laughs) That's so not true. All right. Um, I digress. Anyway. Same could be looked at when it comes to raising your children. God calls us to raise up a godly generation of kids. Make that decision. I'm going to raise my kids to know Jesus. I'm going to teach them in the byways, and the highways. I'm going to teach them when they get up in the morning, when they go to bed at night. I'm going to live for Jesus. Now, that doesn't guarantee your kids will turn out. It does not guarantee that they'll be the model Christian. But you parents... Make a decision and live it out. Just make a decision and live it out. And that's what we need to do with obedience. We, we know that if we say, I love Jesus, it should lead to obedience. And I need to live it out. And the good news is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. Isn't that cool? I love uh, some of the interviews that happened with the Philadelphia Eagles after the Super Bowl. I, I, I really was impressed by their coach. Because they go to interview him right after the game. The first thing he said was, I give glory to Jesus Christ. All right, I forgive you for stomping on the Vikings a week before that, but it was a good testimony. It was a good testimony. And evidently, he had made a decision to do that, and then he was living it out in that national spotlight. Make a decision to be obedient and just live it out. I A conviction is this. Jesus' ways are just non-optional. They're not optional. You just have to see I have one choice, I follow you, Jesus. That's my only choice. Years ago, when I was doing youth here at uh, Grace Point, um, we sang a song. Some of the youth last hour—they're not youth anymore. They're like adults with kids. Anyway, were telling me they remembered the song it was by uh, Demargo and Key, it was written in 1985, and it goes, "I don't want to be—I don't want to be a casual Christian. I don't want to live—I don't want to live a lukewarm life because I want to light up the night with an everlasting light." I don't want to live a casual Christian life. It goes on to say, this life is filled with strong distractions. One pulls from the left, one pulls from the right. I've already made up my mind. I'm going to leave this world behind. I'm going to make my life a living sacrifice. Good song of intentionality. In fact, it could be a good song for our Intentional Life series. I don't want to be a casual Christian. I'm going to do my life very much on purpose. I've made up my mind. I'm going to leave this world behind. And I'm going to make my life a living sacrifice. I take this into the context of today's message. I love Jesus. I don't want to live a casual life. That's going to lead me to this place of obedience. I'm going to follow the way to Jesus is the best way, they're the only way. And I'm going to count on the fact that the Holy Spirit fills me and equips me to be an obedient follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a second suggestion if you want to live an intentional life. Pray that God graces you with love, uh, to love his ways and commands. Pray that God graces you to love his ways and commands. Whenever you're, you're, you're not doing well, just pray, God, God, help me, amen? It's okay to be honest. Sometimes you don't feel like you want to love on somebody. Sometimes you don't feel like you want to be obedient or whatever. Pray that God would grace you to love his ways and love his commands. I want to spend three minutes now with a quick review of what is the intentional life all about in Jesus? Here we go. You ready for this quick series review? One, own your spiritual development. Own your spiritual formation. No one can do it to you. No one can do it for you. You have to own it. Secondly, you need to own the mandate of Jesus to care about the well-being of others as well as your own well-being. Now, over the last four weeks, we've done seminars to try to help you and try to equip you in this endeavor to own your own spiritual formation and to, to, to own the mandate of Jesus to be uh, concerned about the well-being of others as well as yourself. We, we did a study on prayer and on Bible study on spiritual disciplines and accountability. Those are online. They're on our webpage. I want to encourage you, if you didn't go to one of those, to use those tools. But you have to own your spiritual formation and you have to own the mandate of Jesus to be concerned about the well-being of others. Now, if you're concerned about the well-being of others, that usually begins, and this is point three, with those in proximity to you. See those in proximity to you. Be aware and care about The beat up people that God lays in your life or the friends he's putting in your life and your family. Be aware about those uh, in proximity to you. That's usually the beginning point of fulfilling this mandate of the Lord Jesus uh, to care about others. Fourthly, be bold in the Lord. Now, if you're bold in the Lord, that's not necessarily meaning that I'm an extrovert person and I'm out there talking all the time. What it means is I live boldly for my Lord. And that means I'm going to take some inherent risks that come along with being boldness, and I'll be exposed to some dangers and some, some challenges. Just be aware that's part of the Christian life. Be bold in the Lord and be willing to take the risks that He's ordained for your life. Point number five this is so incredibly important. Shepherd somebody in your life. If you're a parent, you've got the natural relationship, you can shepherd somebody. Your children, you can teach them the ways of Jesus. But listen, maybe you're in sports and you're now the junior or senior. Shepherd the freshman. Amen? Pour your life into somebody who's younger than you that hasn't quite got the experience you have yet. Shepherd them. Put the ways of Christ in them. You don't have to say to that person, No, I'm going to put the ways of Christ into you. Don't do that. Don't. Just do it. Just live for Jesus and encourage them and and they'll catch more than they're taught. You know, just do it, amen? Shepherd somebody, then be a student. Be a student to somebody. Let somebody teach you. Have the humble heart and the teachable spirit that's so incredibly important in in, in following Jesus. But be a student to somebody and then walk alongside with somebody. Do life together together. Have some mutual accountability and find somebody in your life uh, to do that with. The natural way to do that is husband and wife. <laughs> some of you are going, Ooh, I don't know if that will work. It should. Just start small. And then lastly, if you love Jesus, you'll obey him. Your default setting should be obedience. So there's a three-minute review of this intentional life series for the last six weeks that we've been looking at. Let me give you this caveat to to finish out today. We are not done with this intentional life. We have just got to the starting line, right? Now you gotta do it. Now you can spend the rest of your life doing this kind of thing, being intentional. So don't kind of look at this as, as, oh, we're through that series, now on to other things. No, 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 no. Be intentional in following Jesus Christ live it out. Go back frequently to some of these notes in this series, maybe, and live your life very much on purpose for the glory of God. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, I want to thank you for the last six weeks and this uh, opportunity to just dive deeply into this subject matter of what does the intentional life in Jesus look like? And I've just described it, Lord, succinctly here in this review. And I pray, Lord, that we would own our own spiritual formation, that we would not count on others to do it for us or expect others to do it into us, but that we, God, would be submissive to you and that we would be pursuing you and on fire for you and seeking you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, Lord, that we'd just be going after you hard and understanding that it falls on us. So I pray that you would endue each one with that desire, Lord, and that you would anoint our lives this way. God, I, I know that you've mandated that we are concerned to care about others around us. I pray we see others in proximity to our lives, that we truly would care about people around us, Lord, and that we, like the good Samaritan, would be aware, that we'd be interruptible, that we'd get a little messy, that we'd even use some resources to help those a- a- around us, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that, that you would just, uh, just, just bless us, Lord, with uh, boldness. Sometimes, you know, it can be a fearful thing to just even say, I love Jesus or to follow you out loud. Give us that boldness, Lord. Help us to take the inherent risks associated with that boldness. And God, then grace us to shepherd someone, be a student to someone, to walk alongside someone. Just grace our lives that way, Lord. And and, in reflection to today's message, Lord, would you cause us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then would you, God, see that that should lead us to a life of obedience. And we ask Holy Spirit once again, fill our lives, empower our lives, so that we truly are obedient followers of Jesus Christ. To you be the glory of God. Your name is above all names. You're indescribably good. Right now the angels are around you, worshiping you. They're exalting you they are fallen down before you. God, we as your people, we glorify you. We lift you up this day. We honor you. Great is our Lord and greatly to be praised. And all God's people said,